going to retell that story. Not because Henny didn't do a fabulous job of reading it. But I want to emphasize a few things which I think we miss or misemphasize. I think many of us have been shaped by lawn scenes, um, you know, where Santa also shows up near the manger. And in my neighborhood, you heard there's minions. Figure that out. Don't think they were in the story. But even if you just keep it to the characters in Luke 2, in the biblical story, I think the way we're used to telling the story misses some of what it's really all about. So I call this messy, terrifying peace. And messy and terrifying don't usually go with peace, but unless, I want to suggest, unless you actually know what's messy and what's terrifying, you don't actually know that you need the peace. This is done God's way, a way way behind, way beyond us, messy, terrifying peace. So the story starts by talking about these, these bigwigs, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, however you say that guy's name. And if you read the Matthew version, you include Herod in there. Caesar was the ruler of the entire world. Rome had conquered the world. Caesar was the boss, right? That's a powerful person. Herod, I've heard, was the richest man to ever live. Not that Tesla guy, not Bill Gates. Herod was the richest guy ever by far. Now, not in actual dollar values because billions in dollars weren't, weren't around in that kind of an economy, but in terms of what he owned of the available wealth of the earth, Herod was probably the richest person ever to live. Those are the kind of people that are in the story at the beginning. And then there's this Quirinius guy. He takes the, the power of Caesar and the wealth of Herod. It's his job to do the census, and you know why they do census, right? So they know how to get the taxes from the people as accurately and as completely as possible. He took wealth and power and stuck them together. And in case you don't know this, all three of those people are kind of un-Jesus in terms of their leadership style. It's tough. It's a messy time. And if you're the one being taxed, probably terrifying as well. Well, the census in terms of our story only means this. It means that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, get uprooted. So there's a level of inconvenience, and it does get kind of messy, as you'll find out. So Joseph, we learn in the story, is, as Matthew tells it, was, he was a good guy, obedient, played by the rules, and he didn't like the spotlight, didn't want to be the center of attention. That's, that's how I read Joseph. And of course, the census thing means, one, he's got to be obedient because that's the kind of guy he is, so he takes Mary, he goes to um, Bethlehem because that's where he's from. And he also enters the spotlight because I don't know if you know this about pregnant women, but they seem to attract attention. Right? Sometimes because the belly's big and they turn around, they knock things down. Other times because everybody has advice for a pregnant woman, solicited or otherwise, helpful or otherwise, people have advice. You attract attention. You're in the spotlight when you're pregnant. And Mary was a Jewish pregnant woman. And there's this fact about Jewish people. Jewish people, when, when they're weeping or when they're mourning, when they're grieving, they actually hire people or they bring people in who ramp up the grief to a full-blown wail, loud crying. Not kind of how we would do that in our community. That's how they did it. So I'm just going to conjecture. I'm going to guess. I'm going to assume that in a culture where you brought in people to make grieving as loud as possible, to get it out there, you didn't give birth real quiet like a person of northern European background, for example, would. 
this would have been a loud birth. And if you understand the story correctly, it would have been an outdoor birth. Joseph, Mary, the baby Jesus were in the spotlight because they had an outdoor birth in a, basically in a more or less public place and gathered a lot of attention. This wasn't Joseph's way of doing it. It was messy. It was in the spotlight. It was probably kind of terrifying the way it worked out because you know why they're outside, right? Henny's re- reading version said there's no room for them in the inn. That's how I learned it growing up. That's how I memorized it. The text on the screen said there was no room in the guest room, and I want to suggest to you that that's a far more helpful understanding because basically it went like this. Joseph and Mary showed up pregnant, not married, to a family gathering, and they said, not sorry, you can't sleep in here with us. And it wasn't like they'd come off the freeway to Bethlehem because there wasn't a freeway and saw a no-vacancy sign at a public um, hotel or motel or inn or something like that. They were coming to a family home, one of their family homes, and this is how this would work, right? If you're meeting in your family home, especially in that time where the, the value of, of hospitality was way up here, if there wasn't room, who's the one person you weren't going to say doesn't get a bed? I think it's the pregnant woman, don't you? So this was a messy, probably terrifying, intentional, yeah, you sleep out back. You're not welcome here. That's how Jesus came into the world. And there were shepherds in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And that's news to us. That's something that we picture. And usually we picture it the way we see it. Little kids, bathrobes on, fake beard, acting as shepherds, right? That's probably the most common shepherd most of us have seen. The funny thing is, there's no reason for us ever to put a beard on a child who plays a role of a shepherd, because shepherds were actually usually children. Remember the great shepherd we all knew besides Jesus, before Jesus, David? When Samuel came to his father Jesse and said, I want to anoint one of your sons because God's going to make him king, they didn't even invite David to be there because he was so young, so insignificant, so little that he was off taking care of the sheep. He's one of the shepherds watching their flocks by night. Not in this scene, but way back then. And not only was it usually children were shepherds is actually often, it was, it was a girl's job. When Jacob went looking for a wife in his relative's community, he came to the well and he met Rachel there because she was watering her father's sheep. When Moses was in Midian and came to the well and met who later became his wife, Zipporah, she was watering her father's sheep. Young boys and girls, that's who shepherds were. And so for us, when we see shepherds, it's unusual. It needs to be explained to us. I can imagine a Jewish person living in Israel at this time reading Luke saying, and there were shepherds out in their field watching their flocks by night going, well, tell me something new. That's like us saying, you know what? There was cars on the QEW today. It's that commonplace, right? There was no need for Luke to say it. So why is he saying this? Because this little baby born outdoors in a stable, rejected by his family, 
was first announced to little children, shepherd children, taking care of sheep at night in a story that starts with Caesar Augustus and Emperor Quirinius, or Governor Quirinius, and you're starting to see that Luke's intentionally putting these power people, the kind of people we expected to lead us out of trouble, right beside a family set outside, left outside, the birth of their first child, our Savior, and the announcement to little kids, shepherd kids. And then the angel of the Lord appears to them. You're sitting by your campfire in the dark. You're young. You're experienced at being outdoors. And suddenly this great light shows up. And of course, the first thing the angel says, because it's the first thing the angel always says, is do not be afraid. But you've got to imagine this. This is a creature, a being, that spends all of its time in the holy presence of God. So I'm in a spotlight right now, so I'm lit up very slightly wearing dark clothing. Imagine that I was so bright, I suddenly show up, I'm so bright that you can't even look at me because the light is that powerful. That's an angel. And the angel is, of course, God's messenger, so his voice is perfectly, or her voice is perfectly designed to speak God's truth into the world. And so this voice trying to say, do not be afraid, is probably coming across like this, do not be afraid! Not the voice you're looking for. And what else do angels do? Angels are the army host. We're about to see that in this very story. There's a heavenly host of them. There's an angel army that comes. And so this creature trying to say, do not be afraid, not only has the bright lights, not only has the booming voice, but has this powerful, probably carrying a sword, kind of persona of them that would terrify any human being, which is again why they always say, do not be afraid after they scare you. And you gotta think that this angel anyways is pretty pumped because he gets to bring good news. You know, the first angel job that we hear about in the Bible is the one where the they get shown to the east end of Eden and they have flaming swords and they're keeping Adam and Eve and everybody else out lest they go back to the tree of good and evil or tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another job they had was, this would probably be a fun assignment for an angel, the angel in Numbers 22 that had to show up and stop Balaam's donkey. And Balaam couldn't see the angel, but the donkey could, and so the donkey eventually speaks to Balaam and says, hey, Look what's going on here. That'd be a fun assignment for an angel. And then there's the angel who had to help Elijah under the broom tree after he'd been ministering so, so long. Or the angels that showed up for Abraham and told him and Sarah they're going to have Isaac, and they heard the laughter of, of um, Sarah that kind of led to Isaac's name. And then there's the angel who got to tell Mary, you're going to have this baby. And she humbly accepts what we're seeing in this story was a pretty challenging role. But you can imagine then that the angels, knowing that the next announcement was going to be that to you this day is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, they're kind of going, pick me for that job. I also think, by the way, that's why the heavenly host shows up. They're all hiding just behind the scenes, just behind the curtain, because this is my view of things anyways. 
heaven isn't beyond that last star because if you know anything about the universe, it's really, really big and I don't want heaven to be right there because I want God to be as he says he is right here with us and so heaven is really what I would call the fourth dimension or maybe the fifth dimension. Heaven's like right behind that wall. It's, it's right behind this piece of air right here. That an angel could show up from the other dimension and be here just like that. And so all these other angels, this heavenly host is, is hiding behind that thin veil, right? And they can't help themselves. They're so excited. They're thinking, why does this guy get to say this news? And that's why they pop up. But we'll get to that in a minute. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. But I'm telling you, shepherd kids, first. See that? That's God's way. That's God's way. He doesn't go to Caesar. We're going to look at Sunday of how he goes to Herod or how Herod finds out. He doesn't go to Quirinius. He doesn't go to the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. He goes to little shepherd kids out in the field watching their flocks by night doing the most menial everyday task you could possibly imagine at that time. The world-shaping news that to you this day is born a Savior comes to shepherd kids. The fact that the one who came as the Savior came as a baby left outside with his parents because, well, they didn't quite live up to the standards we would expect for somebody in our community tells you that's God's way of working. His message goes to the lost, the little, the least. And it goes there because that's who listens if you don't know the world's broken, if you don't know life is a mess, if you don't know that you need a savior, you won't be looking for one. And so in that moment, in this moment, it's to these people at this time that God says to you this day has been born someone who's gonna save you, someone who's gonna set you free, someone who's gonna help you. I know it's messy, I know you're terrified. I come to you with great news, says God. And then suddenly, that great angel army, the heavenly host, it's called, shows up. And to me, once you've seen the first angel, this would be more like scary the way a roller coaster ride's scary. You know going in it's going to be scary, but you're excited and you're going to do it anyways, right? Like, we saw the one angel, that kind of scared us, but bring it on. This is amazing because the angels are coming in to, to show what God's doing. There's a story in the Old Testament about Elisha and his servant, and his servant's terrified because there's an army all around Israel, and, and, and they see them. And Elisha says, you're not recognizing that those who are with us are actually way outnumbering those who are against us. And the servants go, look, there's an army all around us. We're way outnumbered. And Elisha prays and God opens his eyes and he sees the angel army around them. And then he knows for sure they're going to win this battle. And so it's not that God doesn't have the power it's not like the angel army couldn't take on Caesar and Quirinius and Herod and anybody else. It's not that there's not power in God's hand. It's that he knows that the real power is love and service and sacrifice and giving yourself in relationship on behalf of others. And that's why Jesus, the baby born in the major, rejected by his own, was announced to little shepherd kids out in the field because that's God's way in our world. And what does this amazing, powerful army, this heavenly host, 
What does this angel army do? They sing. They sing. What a show of strength. In fact, they don't actually sing. We just always sing the words that we think they sing. They just said these things. Maybe they had sing-songy voices. I don't know. It doesn't say. But they sing, glory to God in the highest. Look at God. Worship God. Trust God. Look at the God that we reflect in power and in truth before you. That's their message. So all year here at Mountain View, we've been talking about the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Glory to God in the highest. That's what it means. First, foremost, above all else, pay attention to God because this is his world and it may be messy for us, it may be terrifying for us, but he's got his way. He's got his plan. He's got Jesus. It might not be our way. It might not be our plan. It might not be the power play we'd want. We'd want the angel army to go in there and wipe everybody else out who's on the wrong side. But God sees all those people, even the Caesars and the Corinthians, even the people we don't like. God sees them as his creatures, his beloved. Those are the ones he reaches out to. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Peace on earth. This child Jesus, born in a manger, announced to little shepherd kids, he was going to be the peacekeeper. He was going to be the peacemaker. Right here in Canada, we send peacemaking forces. It doesn't work real well because force and peace aren't actually the same. Jesus knew this. God knows this. The way to peace is humility and love and sacrifice and forgiveness. It's what we call weakness. It's what we call serving. It's what we call giving of ourselves for another. Into this messy situation, God says peace on earth, and he says it to those on whom his favor rests. And who are those? We church people, of course, think, well, that's us. God's favor rests on us. God's favor actually rests on the little, the least, the lost, the shepherd kids, the people who are willing to listen, the people who can hear, yeah, the world is broken, it's messy, it can be terrifying, but God's got this, and he sent Jesus, and Jesus isn't gonna do it our way. You read through the rest of the story all the way through, all the way to the cross, right? He wasn't doing it the way the people expected him to. His disciples didn't expect it. The religious leaders didn't expect it. The Romans didn't expect it that way. And they didn't expect it that way because it's God's way. And his ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And so we need to trust that when God says, I'm gonna do this through a little baby, I'm gonna do this by coming into your world, I'm going to enter into your mess, and I'm going to look like I'm losing. That's what the cross looked like to his followers. I'm going to look like I'm losing. But your job is to trust me and to believe me and to know that I'm God and I've got this. I'm not going to use my angel army, but I'm going to bring peace on earth, one relationship, one sacrifice, one act of love at a time. And if you want to see that peace on earth, then follow him and live like him and love like him. Because in Jesus, you've been shown the way and you can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, 
You came into this world as one rejected, and that rejection lasted all the way to the cross. You came into this world at a very messy time amongst a messy people, and we live at a messy time among messy people. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would continue to be able to see your way, that way of humility, that way of sacrifice, that way of love, and that we would follow you, the Prince of Peace and the light of the world, to the place of peace, and that we would shed light in this dark world. Lord Jesus, we offer ourselves to you, following you from cradle to cross and also to the throne in the sky. May we learn to continue to trust you each step of the way. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.